let's get into the word this morning and let's talk more about the season of his coming. These prophetic signposts, as we said last week, they tell us that we're living in the last days, that we're living at the end of the church age. You know, just like when you're driving, signposts tell you where you are and and how you're getting closer to something. Well, we have things that have happened in our generation that are amazing that have not happened for hundreds of years. You know, things like Israel becoming a nation, Jerusalem being won back. You know, those are two prophetic things that happened in 1948, 1967. That has never happened before in the history of humanity, where a nation has become a nation again. And it became a nation in a day, just like Isaiah prophesied it. It's amazing. The Hebrew language being restored, again, that has literally never happened in the history of mankind. There's all these things. We're living at the end of the church age, at the end of the age of the dispensation of grace. Right now, there's no judgment going on, right? God is not accounting man's sins to him. Therefore, the only thing between a man and God and salvation, the only thing between them is Jesus. Sin's not blocking it anymore. So the Holy Spirit is reaching out And that's why I believe we're going to see not only a great revival, we'll see that from an aerial view in heaven during the seven-year tribulation period. You know, there's scriptures like one will be taken, one will be left. For years we've talked about, well, that's the rapture of the church. No, in the Gospels it's talking about the second coming. So if you think about it, there's going to be a lot of people through a lot of stuff going on in the tribulation period that are going to die. But half of the people... It looks like half will be saved, so there's going to be a mighty revival. As soon as we're out of here, 144,000 Jews, when when almost a billion people leave this planet, there's going to be people that have been witnessed to that will be then saved. They'll receive Christ right away. And for that first three and a half years, we'll evangelize the world. And then halfway through the tribulation period, when the Antichrist stands in the temple in Jerusalem, which will be rebuilt. And he proclaims himself as God. He's literally, he's called the son of perdition, like Judas Iscariot. He's literally possessed by Satan. And now we go into the last three and a half years, the great tribulation again. The church will not be there, right? We will be at the marriage supper of the Lamb in heaven. But that last three and a half years, it's real interesting. When that happens, that 144,000 and all that they led to Christ will be raptured out. The Bible says they saw this big sea of glass before the throne. But as soon as they're taken out, then there's two witnesses. I believe there's a good chance it could be Elijah and Enoch. Real good chance, but the Bible doesn't say, so we don't know that for sure. But there will be two witnesses that show up, and they will preach the gospel. They will do all kinds of signs and wonders. The Antichrist will do everything to try to kill him, and he won't be able to. They will evangelize that last three and a half years. And what's really cool is the angels of God will be commissioned to preach the gospel during that time. But that's going to be happening during the last half of the tribulation. But even this last seven-year period, 
It's all about God wanting man to be saved. So the grace of God didn't push them or lead them into salvation. So now you're going to see the judgment of God bringing people to a position to make a decision. And because uh, God owes Israel one more week. So let me read a scripture that we, we read last week, but I'm going to go. We broke this down. So I would encourage you, go back and watch this or listen to this message. Lay it out because you are an end time believer. I would not be doing my job as a pastor. And I've got to tell you, I'm sitting at my desk. I mean, all day yesterday. You know, my wife is going, are you okay? My daughter came into my office. Are, are, you, are you okay? Right? No, I'm really okay. But I, I'm, I'm way in over my head because, you know, like as an example in the epistles. The epistles are pretty important for a believer, right? Man, it talks about how that you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It talks about that 13 times. But end time prophecy, it talks about it over 52 times. Or about 52 times. It's all over the book. Jesus wants us ready. And this is not something where we don't know what's going on. As we read last week, we're, we're Christians. We're to know. Now, it'll, he'll come as a thief in the night to unbelievers who are not looking. But to the church, he doesn't come as a thief. I believe that the closer we get, the more stirred we will be. Hallelujah. So 1 Thessalonians, we went over this last week in detail. I just want to read this and then jump into what I want to get into. I want to talk about a big, a big signpost. In Daniel's 70 week, the vision he was given of Daniel's 70 weeks, we call. We need to get into that and make that very simple for you guys. Because it's a mathematical prophecy, which means it tells us completely from one event to another how much time the bible is very exact so first thessalonians chapter 5 verse 1 it says this but of the times and the seasons brethren you have no need that i write unto you why because they would have known this paul was at thessalonica for three months verse 2 for you for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the lord so cometh as a thief in the night we're going to learn later that the day comes as a thief in the night for unbelievers. And this particular scripture is talking about the rapture of the church. Paul was in Thessalonica for three months, and yet he said, listen, guys, I have no need to write to you about this. You guys are well equipped in this area. He talks so much about it. Verse 3, for when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. <clears throat> this word escape, ekfugo, it literally means to be rescued out of a place. It means to flee away. It comes from the Greek root word, which means to vanish. They will not escape. Guess what? You will. You're going to hear a trumpet, the voice of a trumpet speaking to you, saying, come up here. And you're instantly going to be with the Lord. I love that. It says, but you, brethren are not in darkness, talking about Christians, talking about us, 
that that day should overtake you as a thief. If you jump down to verse 9, it says this, Why? For God has not appointed us to wrath. The seven-year tribulation period, Daniel's 70th week of years, is called Jacob's wrath. We're his kids, he's not appointed us to wrath. Right? But to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 11, what are we to do? Why am I teaching this? Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify or build one another up even also as you do. So we're to take this and build each other up with it. This is why I never, I never taught on end time stuff, but I never could even imagine myself preaching on end time prophecy. And then, then the Lord just freaked me out in like the first year of our church and said, I want you to do a verse-by-verse study through the book of Revelation. And I want you to keep this before the people from time to time because they need to know the time and season. And we spent 29 weeks. It was crazy. Remember that, Karen? That was, it was amazing. And everybody said this. They're like, I was so freaked out about the book of Revelation, but now I'm not at all. End time prophecy is never to scare you. If it scares you, it's a wrong emphasis. It should encourage you, cause you to accelerate, and just cause you to realize that, listen, this stuff, I'm out of here. But before I'm out of here, I use this to comfort myself, to comfort and build up my brothers and sisters. We comfort one another. Now, turn back to chapter 4, and I want to read this to you, just kind of setting the stage. Hallelujah. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 in verse 13, and I'm going to read through verse 18. It says, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. This is talking about people that have died physically and are now with the Lord. That you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. Do you know when you don't know God and you lose a loved one, you've lost them in your mind. You, you know, they're gone. But for us as Christians, listen, my mom passed away a couple years ago, right? Well, guess what? She just relocated. So I don't mourn as somebody with no hope. Gosh, I know she's doing great, right? She's probably in heaven right now going, yeah, preach it, Tony. Right? She's doing wonderful. Think of the earth as a big airport. You've heard me say this before. There's arrivals every day and there's departures every day. To be with Christ is much better. Death doesn't have a sting. Death for a Christian will be the most exhilarating feeling we'll ever feel because we'll be free of this body. But I have a feeling that we're not going to have to live out a long time here, I think we're going to hear a trumpet and we're going to be changed. It says here, verse 14, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. Verse 16, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, 
with the voice of an archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. In other words, the people will come back. Their spirits are in heaven. But when that trumpet, their body, wherever it is, doesn't matter if it was uh, you know, cremated, if they died thousands of years, hundreds of years ago, a couple thousand years ago, doesn't matter. God's going to bring all the DNA back and put his glory over it and give them their body back, but glorified. And their body will meet them in the air. And that will happen before we go up. But it's so fast, it's just in the twinkling of an eye. It says, then we, verse 17, which are alive and remain shall be caught up. It's the Greek word harpazo. Caught up. It means to be snatched away, to catch away. It means we're going to be carried off together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And I love this statement. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Again, verse 18, wherefore comfort one another with these words. So I'm here today to comfort you. Jesus is coming back. Hallelujah. So let's look at Daniel's prophecy. I love this. Daniel. Go to Daniel chapter 9. We're going to start in verse 20. We're just going to look at a couple of verses today. But we, we're, what we're doing is we looked at the feast days and we pretty much know that the next feast to be fulfilled is the Feast of Trumpets. Remember, we said this, that God called his feast days, the Hebrew word was moed, moeds, God's appointed times, right? And they are God's convocations. In other words, that, that Hebrew word means they are God's dress rehearsal. So when we see these feasts, there's seven feasts, we went into it last week, seven feasts. So as we go into spring feast and the fall feast, we see that Jesus very specifically fulfilled all of them. There's two that have not been fulfilled, and the Day of Atonement, the last one, is going to be fulfilled in the second coming. There's only one left, and that's the Feast of Trumpets. And, uh, you know, we went through all the different rabbinical names and and everything. It's really amazing. So we kind of know that, you know, I mean, I could be wrong, But in my very strong opinion, the rapture of the church will be on Rosh Hashanah, the Feast of Trumpets. This year, it will be, it starts at 6 o'clock in Jerusalem, September 6th, and will end at 6 o'clock, September 8th. It's It's a floating holiday. No man would know the day or the hour because it's two days. So... But we do know when we'll be raptured in that one at the last trump, right? The Bible says the last trump. We'll look at, we looked at some scriptures last time. We'll look at them again, maybe in more detail. But you know, during Rosh Hashanah, the priest at different times, 11 different, or I'm sorry, nine different times would blow a trumpet, a shofar 11 times. And then he would come out at a time when nobody expected it, and he would blow the trumpet or the shofar longer and louder, and it was called, it was the hundredth blow. It was called the last trump, and that's when we're going to be caught away. So we know that, but now let's look at a mathematical prophecy that was given years and years ago 
because we can know exactly when this 70-year prophecy started. It's really cool. So let me read this to you. Daniel chapter 9, verse 20. You guys doing okay? Isn't this fun? Isn't it amazing to think that you are going to see the king face to face soon? Wow. And he's going to come with his reward in his hand. So we want to be ready, don't we? Hallelujah. It says, and while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God, yea, while I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, who's an archangel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about the time of the evening oblation and he informed me and talked with me and said oh daniel i am now come forth to give you skill and understanding at the beginning of your supplications the commandment came forth and i am come to show you and i love this for you are greatly beloved it's really Here's just like an interesting Pastor Tony thing, okay? So John in the New Testament was called the Beloved. Who was given the vision of the book of Revelation? John. Who's given the other major Old Testament prophecy that lays out end time events? The Old Testament Beloved, Daniel. Everything in the word is consistent. It's really amazing. Really amazing. Therefore, now look at this. Therefore, Daniel, you'll never understand the matter and you'll never be able to consider the vision. Is that what that says? Nope. He's saying, I'm come to give you understanding. So, so now let's look at this just a little bit. So think about this. The children of Israel, they're in Babylonian captivity. Daniel would have been taken into captivity when he was a teenager, you know, with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now he would be an older, older man, right? He would be probably 70s, 80s. Now he's, he's still, it's amazing how this guy has risen to the top being in captivity his whole life. He was always, he's like the ambassador now. I mean, it's amazing his position. But the children of Israel, they were in captivity in Babylon for 490 years. The Bible says they were in captivity for their sin. Why? It's really amazing if you look at Jewish history. For 490 years, the Jews refused to obey God and allow the, the land to rest. The, everything is on a seven-year cycle. Like, for instance... This Rosh Hashanah this year is called a Shemitah year. It's the seventh year on the cycle. It, it literally, so, so what would happen, the children of Israel were to work the land for six years, and then they would be so blessed that God says, but on the seventh, don't plant any crops, don't do anything, you let the land rest. You're well taken care of, but the children of Israel didn't obey that. And for 490 years... They disobeyed this. 
So this is why the Bible is very clear. They owed the land back 70 weeks of years. And that's why they were in Babylonian captivity. It's really amazing how exact the word of God is. In Matthew chapter 18, you don't have to turn there. I'll just read it to you. For those taking notes, you could put this in your notes. In Matthew 18, 21, it's real interesting. Then Peter came to Jesus and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? And then he says this, you know, Peter with his chest out, seven times, like, you know, I'm really spiritual, so seven times, Lord. But look at what Jesus said to him. Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until 70 times seven. I wonder if Jesus was talking about the 490 years. I wonder if, if that was part of this. It's really kind of amazing. So while in captivity, we know this, that Persia defeated Babylon, right? So now the angel Gabriel is coming to Daniel right now. Now Daniel's an older man now, and we call this vision that he gave him Daniel 70 weeks. In other words, Daniel, Daniel's vision shows us that God owes Israel 70 weeks of years, Okay, 490 years. So now let's look at verse 24. He starts to explain it. He says, 70 weeks. In other words, the, the Hebrew word 70, it's really, this is deep. It took me many, many years to understand this. No, I'm teasing. The word 70 means 70. That's deep, right? That's really deep. Tony Finley commentary, 70 means 70. Awesome. But the word weeks is interesting because it's the Hebrew word shabua. It literally means a sevened. It's talking about, it gives us a picture, 70 weeks of years is what this is talking about. 490 years. But now we have to know this. It's real interesting. Almost every major ancient culture their calendar was on a 360-day year. Many of them changed in about 701 B.C. So uh, in Hebrew, but in the Bible, whenever it talks about a year, whenever God's dealing with Israel, it's always 360-day years. So in order for us to understand this prophecy, we have to understand we're talking about 490 years of 360 days. Or we're talking about 173,880 days. Okay? So that's what we're talking about. So it says here, 70 weeks of years are determined upon thy people. Talking about Israel. Talking about the Jews. And upon thy holy city. That's talking about Jerusalem. And there's, there's five five things it depends on how you break it here but there's five or there's really six things that are to happen in these 490 years to finish the transgression to make an end of sins to make reconciliation for iniquity to bring in everlasting righteousness 
to seal up the vision, to seal up the prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. And this word most holy means the most holy place. You could translate it the holy of holies. So to anoint the most holy. So Daniel basically uh, is, is, here's Gabriel. He comes to Daniel and he's saying to him, I want you to understand that God has established for the Jewish people and for, for Jerusalem 490 prophetic years. Okay, so let's keep going with this. Verse 25, know therefore and understand. In other words, Daniel is to know and understand this. Isn't this interesting how how that the enemy works over in religion to let you know that, well, you just never know what God's gonna do. And that's a lie straight from the pit of hell. That's error because God's a revealer. It says, know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem. We're going to find out that when the command, now there were, there, the commandment, or it's called a decree, there were four decrees, right? Cyrus had a decree And he decreed, but it was to rebuild the temple. It was like in 557. Darius the Great, or I don't think the guy was so great, so I'm just going to call him Darius. He decreed the rebuilding of the temple. And there's no real solid date there that that we could come up with. Then Artaxerxes, he also decreed for the temple to be rebuilt. But then... On March 14th, 445 B.C., this is how exact, March 14th, 445 B.C., he decreed that Jerusalem was to be rebuilt. This is all laid out. All these decrees, you could find them in Ezra, and this last one's in Nehemiah, chapter 2. So, so this is interesting. So this, this date... March 14th, 445 B.C., keep that in mind. It says, from the going forth of the commandment to restore Jerusalem, which happened March 14th, 445 B.C., unto Messiah the Prince, Mashuach, the Messiah, the King, is basically what, it's, what this is saying, until the Messiah comes forth as king, keep this in mind, shall be seven weeks and three score and two weeks. Three score and two weeks is 62 weeks. Seven weeks, this is deep, is seven weeks. So if you take seven plus 62, you have 69 weeks. Well, why did it break this? Now, we don't know this for sure, but it makes a lot of sense that it was broken the two weeks. Nehemiah, it took 49 years to rebuild Jerusalem. So I think that's why it's separated, seven weeks. So it's separated, actually, there's three segments of this 70-week prophecy. There's the seven weeks, or 49 years, to rebuild Jerusalem. 
Then you have 62 weeks, and that's going to be right up until it, it comes to the first coming of Christ. And then you have the last seven weeks is, is from when, when we're raptured out of here, the tribulation starts, the last seven or the last seven years or one week is the tribulation. Okay? And then we go into the millennial reign of Christ. So we're, this, is, this is why, now I know this is a lot, you might have to listen to this again. I'm believing God for this to be very simple. So 69 weeks of years, which started March 14th, 445 B.C. Now if you were to go 69 weeks of years, or 173,000, 880 days. If you were to go throughout all of this, you would be at Wednesday, April 6th, AD 32, which is when we're celebrating Palm Sunday. And this is why when I teach this, when we look at this, you have to take into consideration uh, leap years, and different things, but, but there was a man who was the head of, oh gosh, Sir Robert Anderson. And, you know, I might have put it in here. Sir Robert Anderson, I think it was 1894, yeah. His book, he did a study, and he was the head, uh, he was the head of Scotland Yard. And he did a study that is now, it was put in a book, it was out of print for a long time, and you can get it now. It's called The Coming Prince. And if you want a really a mathematical, I've never heard anything as accurate as this. But Sir Robert Anderson, there's a book called The Coming Prince. It literally outlines the timeline of Daniel's 70 weeks. He did a lot of study to come down with, study of history, to come down with these dates. So this would put you at A.D. 32, April 6th, when Jesus was on the road. We're going to celebrate that, aren't we? Gary Crowell's going to be here next Sunday, then the next week, Palm Sunday. It's real interesting about Palm Sunday. We'll get into it. But there's such a lack of understanding about what, what was happening that day. But in the Jewish mind, there was no lack. There was a reason why those Pharisees were freaking out. And we might get into that today if we have some time. It says here, the street shall be built again, and the wall, which could even be translated moat, even in troublous times. So talking about it was rebuilt in 49 years under Nehemiah. So Artaxerxes, the king of Persia, on March 4th, 14th, 445 B.C., commanded that Jerusalem be built. This started Daniel's 70-week prophecy. The Jews under Nehemiah's leadership built Jerusalem in 49 years. So this is, might be, like I said, where we get the, the seven of the, of the 69 weeks. And from the going forth of the commandment to restore Jerusalem and rebuild Jerusalem until the Messiah, the Prince, is 69 weeks of years. Or March 14th, 445 B.C. to April 6th. Right? A.D. 32. So 
there's, there's other thoughts out there that Jesus came out of the grave in A.D. 30. So, you know, and there's some, there's some good evidence. I don't think it's as good and as, as, as complete. So for us as believers, A.D. 30 to A.D. 32, right? So the church age pretty much started A.D. 30 to A.D. 32, and the church age is, is 2,000 years. So if you take 2,000 years, you're at 2,032, 30, 2,030 to 2,032, but then you have to subtract a seven-year tribulation period. So that puts us at 2,023 to 2,025 for the church to be raptured out of here. And people sit here and go, What? Yeah, there's nothing prophetically that has to happen. The church, the next prophetic event. And am I saying that it could happen in 2025? Oh, very possible. What about 2024? Very, very possible. 2023? Absolutely. 2022? Absolutely. 2021? Oh, definitely. Shemitah year. Yeah. I mean, so we're, we're at, what I'm telling you is, be comforted. You're about to see your king. And this day is not to overtake us. See, when we teach on this stuff, and like the early church thought Jesus was coming back, but there was so much that they didn't understand. So much of the prophecy. See, now Bible prophecies, it's almost getting silly. The Ezekiel 38 and 39 conflict that happens right after the rapture, every nation is in right around Israel right now. First time in history that that's ever happened. So, this is interesting as we get into it. You guys doing okay? So, Christ's ministry, as close as we can tell, started in the fall of AD 28. Some say AD 27, not before that but the fall of A.D. 28. Remember the feasts, what was it? Um, the Feast of Tabernacles, the last fall feast. Remember last week, Jesus fulfilled that. That is when, when he, after he was baptized, he went into the wilderness for 40 days. He fasted 40 days, one day for each year that Israel was in the wilderness. He fulfilled that, and that started his earthly ministry. And, and we think it's A.D. 28 because Tiberius was appointed in, in 14 A.D. Jesus' earthly ministry, it says it starts in the 15th year of Tiberius's reign, which would have started in A.D. 14. So if you take 14 plus 14, that's where we get 28 A.D. Does that make sense? That's kind of where we're coming up with that. If you go three and a half years after that point, it's going to put you at Passover. Exactly. All, you got to understand, Bible prophecy is exact. So now, let's talk about this till Messiah the King. In Jesus' ministry, there were many times that they wanted to say, hey, set up your kingdom now. We're going to proclaim you as king. And he would say, no, this is not my day. Remember that? Over and over, this is not my day. 
This is not my day yet. But look at what Zechariah prophesied. I read this to you almost every Palm Sunday, right? Zechariah 9.9. Now this was prophesied by Zechariah 400 years before it took place. It says this, and let me say this. There's so many people out there that go, you know, I just don't believe that Jesus is God. Do you know we are the only what you would classify as a religion that, that tells the future? No other religion does that. And, and for those that will stand, and that's why it says the fool has said in their heart, it's, there's no God, you're a fool, because everything declares him. But even mathematically, if a person will dig into this, it's amazing. So every human being will have to come to the place where they have to decide what they're going to do with Jesus. Because guys, bad people don't go to hell. Good people don't go to heaven. I'm going to split the gates of heaven wide open because of Jesus, not because of me. You must be born again. And that's a big decision. And see, most people, they want to live their own life. And think about it from God's perspective. We're going to see another scripture in 2 Peter chapter 3 where Peter was like, hey guys, you know, this is basic elementary knowledge. A day with the Lord is like a thousand years. A thousand years is like a day. Well, if a thousand years is like a day, if you live out a full life, you're here for about in God's timetable, about two hours to two and a half hours. It's a vapor. And people are trading that for eternity. And this is why we got to get out of, hey, this turn or burn mentality. That's not the gospel. The gospel is Jesus Christ saw you dead and separated from him because of your sin. And he came and he died for you. And so now the most important decision of any man's life is will they receive that and bow to his lordship? Everybody's going to bow to his lordship. The Bible says every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The problem is if you bow at the great white throne judgment, it's too late. The bummer about hell, probably the the lake of fire, being absent from the presence of God forever, eternal torment. It was never made for man. It was made for the devil and his angels. God doesn't send people there. He just honors their request to go. But their whole life, he will literally reach out to them. That's, I mean, everything. God loves man, right? And so it's, it, it all comes down to what you do with Jesus, Are you going to proclaim him as your Lord and be born again and live on this earth with him, this fabulous life, and live with him in eternity, or are you not? And that's the thing, the decision. See, I, I think I said this the other day, the problem with psychology is at the root of psychology, it always says that, well, what you're going through is not your fault, it's because of some other outside circumstances and that sounds great on the surface because if you think well you know i'm an alcoholic or i'm this or i'm that uh i i'm you know my life is a disaster because of my parents because the way i was raised i was sexually abused i was this i was that if you believe that then you of course you're free from the guilt of it 
but you're also bound by the fact that there's something on the outside that can control your life, and that is not God's philosophy. God said in Deuteronomy 30, 19, guys, this is great news. I'm setting before you life and death, blessing and cursing. And then he says, and you can choose. So the sexually abused, there's there's restoration, there's healing, there's restoration for all of that. When God heals, he takes away the scar. There's freedom for addictions. There's there's literally redemption. See, my sins were not covered. They were washed away. Why? Because Jesus paid for all of them. My name, see, everybody's name starts out in the book of life. I mean, even at the great white throne judgment, God, who knows everything, has this man or this woman standing before him, and he's like, hey, open the book one more time just in case I might be wrong. Is their name in there? And see, everybody's name starts out in the book of life. It's only blotted out of the book after they pass from this earth without ever receiving Christ. This is why we're teaching this. And this is why I hope this really goes off in you. So Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. See, the message of the gospel is that God loves you. He is literally begging you. He tells us, he tells us to go and beg people. Listen, be reconciled to God. Your life is like a vapor. He wants to be with you in eternity. Do you know this isn't it for us? We're just getting started. This is actually a dress rehearsal. It's a convocation. Zechariah 9.9 Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king comes unto thee. This is prophesied 400 years. This day was prophesied 400 years before Jesus was on a donkey going into Jerusalem, which we're about to celebrate. It says here, he is just. The Hebrew word means righteous and having salvation. This, mean, this Greek word means and having wholeness, having deliverance, having victory. He has prosperity. He has help. He has healing. He has health. This is who your king is. And he is lowly, he's humble. This Greek word means power under perfect control. Humility is strength. And riding upon a donkey and upon a colt, the foal of a donkey. Wow. So April 6, 32 AD. So if you go from March 14th, 445 BC to March 14th, in 32 AD, you have 173,740 days. Then if you go March 14th to April 6th of AD 32, you add 24 days to that total. So you would have 173,764 days. 
Then, if you go back in time and look at the calendar, the lunar calendar for all those years, and take out all the leap years, you have to add another 116 days, which totals 173,880 days. Mathematically, it's perfect. Hallelujah. So if you go, now you are at April 6th, AD 32, when Jesus presents himself as king. And that's what the commandment was. From the time the commandment goes forth to, to, to rebuild Israel until Jesus is on the earth presenting himself as king, that's the prophecy. See, we've always looked at it coming out of the grave. Well, yeah, but that, that happened a few days later. But the prophecy is this event. So now let's go to Luke. Give me a couple minutes here. Go to Luke chapter 19. I don't know if this is exciting you. This might be a Brussels sprout to you. But man, this is Benihana to me. This is hibachi shrimp and fried rice, just tons of garlic. You know, you don't even want to read how many carbs are in that stuff, right? Luke chapter 19, verse 35. It says, now look at this. And they brought him to Jesus, and they cast their garments upon a colt, and they set Jesus thereon. And as he went, they spread their clothes in the way. And when he was come nigh, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, it's really cool. So he, he would have come from Bethany, right? So I've stood on the Mount of Olives, and, and the Kidron Valley is right there, and at the bottom is the Garden of Gethsemane. It's all, it's all literally right there. And if you look, when, when he would have come around there, he would have seen the Eastern Gate. He would have seen the whole city of Jerusalem. It's really, it's really pretty cool. It's hard to talk about. It says, and when he was come nigh, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. Saying, they said something very specific. Blessed be the king that comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. So hold your finger here and go to the 118th Psalm and you will see why the Pharisees freaked out. Psalm 118, let me find it here. So verse 1, it says, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he's good, because his mercy endures forever. You know, there's some great scriptures. But then if you go down, it starts talking. The stone which the builders rejected is become the headstone of the corner, talking about Jesus. Then it goes down in verse 24. Have you ever sang, this is the day, Right? This is the day that the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. You know, every day I tell the Lord that. Lord, this is a day you've given me. I'll rejoice. But this, this day that he's talking about, 
is the day that Jesus came into Jerusalem, the day that Messiah pronounced himself as king. This is the day that this verse is talking about. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Look at, look at what it says in verse 26. Sounds a little bit like what they were saying. Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Isn't that amazing? Verse 28, thou art my God and I will praise thee. Thou art my God and I will exalt thee. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord for he's good, for his mercy endures forever. So all of a sudden, Jesus is coming in and this is his day. So now we jump back here. They're saying this. They're praising God. He's on this donkey. It's fulfilling the Zechariah 9-9 prophecy these Pharisees are freaking out. First of all, when they see him coming in on a donkey, to be a Pharisee, you could literally start in Genesis 1-1 and quote the whole Old Testament. They knew Zechariah 9-9. And they're like, oh my gosh, he's coming in. See, this was not hid. It was hid because of their self-centeredness and they were not looking. Verse 39, some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said to him, Master, rebuke your disciples. Because they knew this is a fulfillment. They are literally saying, you are Messiah, the king. You're on this donkey, the fold of a donkey, the colt. You're coming into Jerusalem. Time out. This was prophesied. Tell... Tell your disciples to shut up. That is blasphemy. Look at what Jesus said. And he answered them. He no longer said, listen, my, it's not my day. It's not my time. No, look at what he said. And he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. Man, if you ever go to Israel, next time I go to Israel, I'm picking up one of those stones. I'm going to mount that on a nice piece of wood. And people will come in and see this ugly looking little stone and just go, you know, that, that stone has the potential to sing. Thank God it didn't have to, right? And he answered and said to them, these stones would cry out. And when he was come near, he, he, he beheld the city. So when you come down, you, he saw the whole city of Jerusalem and he wept over it, saying this, look at this, if you had known, even you, at least in this thy day, do you get that? This thy day, this specific day was prophesied in Zechariah 9.9. This specific day had a mathematical prophecy that was back in Daniel chapter 9. The angel Gabriel came and proclaimed it. And it's to the day. If you had known this thy day, the things which belong unto your peace, but now are they hid from your eyes. Why were they hid from their eyes? because of their own selfishness and self-centeredness. Do you realize these religious leaders, these Pharisees, listen, they did not want to share the glory with Jesus. How ridiculous is that? 
And then he said this, for the day shall come upon thee that thine enemy shall cast a trench about thee and compass thee round and keep thee on every side and shall lay even shall lay thee even with the ground and thy children within thee and they shall not leave thee one stone upon another why and this happened in AD 70 under Titus over a million Jews were murdered and killed as they completely besieged the city of Jerusalem and they because of the way they built the temple they had gold in between every stone they literally laid every stone They took it all down. That happened in AD 70. And why did it happen? Because you knew not the time of your visitation. I wonder how important it is. We're going to see scriptures that when the rapture happens, the people on this earth are going to be caught away. They're going to be caught off guard. And they're going to be thrown into a seven-year period like has never been on the earth before. It says in verse 26 of Daniel chapter 9, and after three score and two weeks, or in other words, 62 weeks of years, shall Messiah be cut off. This Hebrew word literally means shall be killed to make a covenant. That happened when he was crucified, right? But he'll be cut off, he'll be killed to make a covenant, but not for himself. See, Jesus came to be killed and make a covenant, but not for himself, it's for you and I. See how exact this is? And the people of the prince, now this is talking about the Antichrist. Literally, this literal meaning, and the people of the prince, it means the people that the Antichrist will come out of. This is talking about the old Roman Empire, which included Europe Italy, the Middle East, and Northern Africa. And they shall come and destroy the city, talking about Jerusalem, and the sanctuary, talking about the temple. And we know in history this happened in A.D. 70 under the Roman general Titus. And the end thereof shall be with a flood, and unto the end of the war desolations are determined. So when this happened... The rest of the Jews that lived through this were taken captive and they were then spread all over the world. Okay? That'll be significant later. In Luke chapter 21, verse 5 and 6, it says this And some spake of the temple, how it was adorned with goodly stones and gifts. He said, As for these things which you behold, the days will come. This is Jesus talking in which there shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. Jesus was talking about this time. And when you shall see Jerusalem compassed with armies, then know that the desolation thereof is nigh. Then let them which are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let them which are in the midst of the desert, or in the midst of it, depart out. And let them not that are in the countries enter therein too. For these be the days of vengeance that all things which are written may be fulfilled. But woe unto them that are with child and to them which give suck in those days, for there shall be great distress in the land and wrath upon this people. And this is what I want you to see in verse 24. 
and they shall fall by the edge of the sword and they shall be led away captive into all nations and and Jerusalem shall be tread down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. And we know that in 1948, God brought the Jewish people back from all over the world and for the first time in human history, just as Isaiah prophesied, we might get into that later, they became a nation, May 14th, 1948. Then in the Six-Day War, which happened in 1967, a supernatural occurrence, they took over all of Jerusalem. And at 1967, when they took over Jerusalem completely, see, when they came back, they only had half of it. But when they took over the whole city in 1967, that was when the time of the Gentiles was fulfilled. Right? So I'm going to leave with that one. And we'll, we'll get into, see, Daniel uh, 9, verse 27, this is going to deal now with Daniel's 70th week. Guys, the next prophetic event on the prophetic calendar in the Word of God, which is exact, is the rapture of the church. We are living in the season of his coming. Let that comfort you, but also let that accelerate you. This is not the time to be getting your news from CNN or Fox or the Internet. It's time for you and I to get our news from the Word of God. God has a plan for us. And remember, he will keep you safe. He will take care of you and your family. You know, I've said this for years, and then March of last year happened. You know, I know we're going to be out of here for that seven-year period, but we might have to go through some stuff while we're here. Well, as the church, part of your life needs to be praying for our country. Because right now, they're passing some laws that don't look very good. And we're going to start as a church here uh, in about a week or so, where we're going to start having just the church open for prayer, daily prayer times with me. And we're going to be praying for our church. Because we want to yield all of our fruit in our season. We're going to be praying for our city, for our state, for this country. Praying for our governmental leaders that God would come and heal our land. But have no fear because he's with you. He's your everything. And I'm telling you, we're going to see at the end of this series, we're going to jump into a series on the authority of the believer. Because I'm telling you, that's how we live on the earth. We're not moved by anything but him. And we're strong in him. So be encouraged with that. Amen.